Happy Friday, and thanks for sticking through the entire week with us here at the Rocketeer Minute, where each and every day, Monday through Friday, we go over one minute of the greatest adventure movie Walt Disney's ever made, the 1991 Joe Johnston-directed feature, The Rocketeer. I'm one of your hosts, Jim O'Kane of TVDads.com. And I'm Hal Bryan, an airplane nerd from the Experimental Aircraft Association here in Oshkosh, Wisconsin. Now, Jim, we've got a guest today. We've got a special guest. This is Ethan McKinley. Uh, according to one of his bios, he's more than just a dyslexic savant genius, which uh, which is good because we ask that at a minimum of uh, any of our guests. But he's uh, creator and co-host of a number of shows, uh, Questionable and uh, in our Minute family, uh, the Two Minute Terminator. And uh, before we started, he was just telling us about a about a new podcast that he, where he started as a guest and now he's a host uh, called Was It Worth It? So, Ethan, welcome aboard. Oh, thanks for having me, Hal and uh, Jim. Uh, it's nice to talk to you again. Uh, we, of course, did uh, Airport Minute, I think, about uh, eight months ago. Now I'm back at another uh, aerial-based podcast. One of my favorite films, also The Rocketeer. So, yeah, thank you so much for having me. But uh, special guest, you're overstretching the mark there. Billy Camel's a special guest. I'm merely a, merely a guest. <laughs> Unless special is in, in, in terms of special needs, then I'm absolutely right for that. Well, you, you were the uh, special guest of Was It Worth It? So that, that you, you were basically the Billy Campbell of that show. You slowly moved in and, <laughs> and became a frequent a frequent contributor. So uh, I'm glad, glad that's Well, at least I can out. say I've worked on a project that uh, the, the wonderful... Uh, famous Billy Campbell has worked on now. So yes. there we go. <laughs> well, we're, exactly. It's all about degrees of separation. Stuff. Yeah. <laughs> You're just a phone call away from Billy. So, uh, but we're, we're in the midst of, uh, gosh, we're, we're <laughs> in the midst of, uh, difficult productions by Brits, uh, watching, uh, Tim Dalton here, uh, fighting his way out of, uh, the plywood, uh, in, in the middle of the movie within the movie, the laughing bandit. And uh, gosh, we've got we've got many things to talk about. I I don't uh, you know while we're on the subject of Dalton, we just lost uh, we just lost Roger Moore, uh, one of the best Bonds. I was wondering uh, where does where does Timothy Dalton fit in your pantheon of Bond heroes? Uh, I don't know because I think Lazenby is kind of the forgotten Bond, uh, and there's actually a documentary about him coming out. I think it's on Hulu in a couple of months actually. Uh, but I saw both uh, License to Kill. And Living Daylights. Sorry, the first one was first, the last one was... You know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, I really liked him. And I think I think looking back over recent history, people tended, until Daniel Craig came along, we kind of go, oh, he got it wrong, and he was terrible, and he, he was this and this. I don't think he was favoured uh, or well-received by the American audiences. And I think... Uh, I'm wondering if he, he thinks, looking back now, if he's slightly vindicated, because Daniel Craig has gone down that route and been obviously uh, lionised and applauded for that kind of portrayal of Bond and maybe it just wasn't the right time because he went obviously back to basics and back to that kind of Ian Fleming Bond who was a bit of a swine and uh, a sadist and perhaps not the most uh, nicest of characters to women and I I don't know I think many of the many of the uh, Bond books end with him at the end of his rope almost dying and he's almost like a slightly tragic character in a way very much isolated and alone I don't think uh Connery portrayed that Bond, and I don't think uh, my favourite actually. Uh, sadly, we lost uh, was it last week or this week? Uh, Roger Moore. I think the best Bond is actually Bol- Dalton, Bolton, Michael Bolton, uh, Dalton. <laughs> I would watch that. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry, I'm looking at Tim Dalton's hair in this clip, and it's uh, distracted me. <laughs> He's very. Lucky. But yeah, no, Roger was my favourite Bond, but I think uh, in terms of like Ian Fleming's Bond. Uh, Timothy Dalton and I guess Daniel Craig are the closest to that but I think sadly because he only got two films 
uh, he was overlooked. I don't think they got rid of him either. I think there was a planned third film, but I think it just took so long uh, in development because I think Kevin McClory reared his ugly head again and was kind of like locked in a lawsuit with the Broccolis. So kind of uh, Dalton just kind of went, oh, I'm kind of done. And That's right. That there was going to be out. one more round of maybe one more round of telling the Thunderball story for a third time. Yeah, which, uh, I don't know. We, I, we didn't really need to do. Yeah, it was, oh. was going to be called whipping the yeah, dead horse. Just, yes, um, exactly. All you know, I know is going to be. Heard, oh, go ahead. No, sorry. I was. All I know is it was going to be set in China. It was due to come out in like between '91 and 2003, and they just never kind of made it happen. And then there was that kind of like obviously long period. Uh, and he obviously replaced uh, Pierce Brosnan, who at the time I guess everyone wanted to be Bond then. But then Remington Steel got uh, their, uh, I guess, their their contract renewed. And on, I think on the day that uh, Pierce Brosnan was about to walk out to the stage to be announced as the Bond to the world, uh, obviously he was uh, renewed for his Remington Steel contract. And then that was the end of him. And then Dalton, who they'd approached, I think, actually in 1969 when Lazenby played it, but he thought he was too young. He was in The Lion in Winter, if anyone remembers that film, from 1969. Yeah. I guess they kept tabs on Dalton, but because he turned down Bond, I think, twice, he was kind of, I guess, seen as the reluctant Bond, so people knew he didn't kind of want to be be Bond. And then, obviously, when Pierce Brosnan fell through, they went back to Dalton, offered him a bunch of money, and he did it. And even though he did a great job, I think, uh, I guess there was that stink still attached to him. Sorry, I listened to a bunch of recent Bond podcasts with the uh, <laughs> the passing of Roger Moore, so I sound like I know what I'm talking about. No, but I, good. It, it, you know, I'm just reading off what, I've, what I've heard. But no, I think he was uh, he was great. He kind of uh, he did a fantastic job, and I think perhaps he channels much of that when he plays Neville Sinclair in The Rocketeer. But obviously, a, a much uh, darker uh, version of that, and Errol Flynn, of course, uh, mixed in, which I guess this scene is uh, very much aping because is, is the set. Uh, yeah, it's, it's I guess much, a homage to Robin Hood, is it the staircase? Yeah, pr- pretty much. I mean that big that big cylindrical staircase that they're both uh, fighting down, uh, and it, it's almost you know it's, it, it's not quite scene for scene, but yeah, pretty pretty much the same the same deal. And he does bear a remarkable resemblance to uh, you know like that that kind that kind of an Errol Flynn character that he seems like a likable guy when he's being a good guy he seems to be a very good guy he seems like the, uh, he seems like a movie star whenever he's you know, in this in this early part of the film, when you're not. Well, you guys you know, mentioned, I guess, earlier on the earlier episodes that obviously you did P- Prince Baron, which is even more of an Errol Flynn kind of. Uh, yeah. Actually, in the tights, no less, for much of the film. So. Yeah, and it just you know I I can't help but love the guy. He's just such a he's such an acting acting guy. Yeah, you know, he just he really knows how to exude the whole walking walking the boards kind of uh, Shakespearean looking fellow, and it's just he doesn't he never seems to be out of the spotlight he's always performing um what did you guys think of him as bond straight I, back at you I, I loved him as bond i thought he was i thought he was great especially living daylights he was less of he was he, like you were saying he's the back to the basics kind of bond he worked on his you know on her Majesty's secret service and that was his job and he he would try to be as emotionless as possible when he's dealing with people and nothing nothing really phased him i, I he was he was a competent guy. He uh, he got frustrated with the bureaucracy. I mean, I, I think the the way that he played that was was excellent. And it, it wasn't. I mean, there were you know he had humorous parts in the thing, but generally it was a lot more uh, straight, you know, a more of a procedural spy movie, if 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 that could mm. be classed as that. But it just I think it was too much of a jarring change as well, because everyone was kind of had Roger Moore for seven films for crying out loud since '73. Yeah. 
So I think they're very much stuck with that kind of image of Bond. And then Dalton comes along with, I guess, as close to the book version at that point. And I guess everyone kind of didn't like it. What did you think, Hal? Well, and that's always been kind of the standard for me. I mean, I, you know, as a kid, I grew up seeing, you know, Connery films in sort of second release and then some of the more films in theaters and things. And I, I can always find something to enjoy about any of the movies, maybe except for Moonraker, but that's a story for another day and no disrespect to the, to the late <laughs> Sir Roger Moore. Um, but for me, the standard is, does this feel to me like the bond of the books? Uh, this, you know, sort of preposterous as the novels are, uh, they're still played very, very straight. And mm. uh, um, and so I was I was thrilled when Dalton came along. I think that movie came out. I was about 16 or so. Um, loved seeing a good, you know, after after sort of the the smirking of uh, View to a Kill, coming to a to a good, solid, honest, straightforward. I can believe this guy is Bond. Yeah. And <clears throat> I used to judge License to Kill a lot more harshly. I mean, as soon as I found out. And, and this could be apocryphal, but I'd always heard that the original title for License to Kill in the, was going to be License Revoked. Yeah, that's right. And then right. they said, well, no, an American isn't going to know what the word revoked means. And so we've got to change it to License to Kill. And to me, that, that's sort of almost in microcosm. In my mind, I imagine them making that decision and then making a thousand other smaller decisions about setting the tone of the movie and everything else. And and uh, there's pieces of, of License to Kill that I think are, are exceptional uh, for mm. Dalton. But then there's the tone gets very uneven. There's sort of lots of yeah. you know, sort of lighter well, moments, given all the terrible things that have happened. Mm. Um, you know, a few too many sort of the glib uh, the glib one-liners and things like that. I think it's very much more of a. It's not really it doesn't feel like a British spy film. Either it's got Michael Kamen doing the music, of course, who did like Lethal Weapon and Die Hard. I think the color palette's very like pastely because of I guess that Miami Vice look. It doesn't feel like a bond adventure or it's it feels much more like an american film and i think that's one of the reasons that perhaps american audiences rejected it as well because it didn't do as well as the, the previous one so. that's an excellent excellent point and i do find mm. that uh if i'm just you know if i'm sort of taking off my critical hat and i just want to have fun with the movies uh you know anyone in the in the pantheon with a handful of, of exceptions i do tend to lean toward the european settings more somehow that seems more appropriate more exotic i think we, we saw more of that in living daylights than we did in uh in license to kill as you pointed out and license, yeah. license to kill could have been you know it couldn't have been a lethal weapon it wasn't quite that funny but uh you know it could have been some as you said a very american action film yeah hmm. well let, as as we as much as we love him in bond let's talk a little bit about him in the, in the rocketeer here <laughs> i'm sorry the, the rock who yeah <laughs> Yes, I remember this movie. Um, we're, we're watching the movie within the movie where you know Clifford has uh, knocked over the flat and has, uh, right. and uh, you know uh, Neville makes a joke about it never you know failing to bring down the house and stuff like that. And he seen, he obviously has the uh, admiration and uh, you know the fellowship of of the staff there. They have they believe the front story of Neville Sinclair being you know America's number three box office smash, and he seems to be an okay you know a right guy. Um, but apparently he does have a, a bit of a nasty side as, as his uh, co-star in this, the one that had uh, was surprised that he was Sir Reginald, uh, has been stabbed by Neville. You know, Jim, super quick, right before we get to that, and I hate okay. to derail us, but, um, well, well uh, Dalton, as uh, Sinclair, is still sort of under the flat. This is another one of those scenes where it's fun to sort of scrub through it right around second seven, second eight. Uh, he's looking around. He looks completely disoriented and like he's really been thrown off by this then they help him up 
And then, then as soon as he gets to his feet, or as he's coming up to his feet, he realizes, oh, I've got an audience, I'm still on, I've got to flash that winning <laughs> smile and make my joke about bringing down the house. And it's it's exactly what you'd expect. And, and frankly, probably any of us, if you dropped a wall on us, we might be a little shaken up at first. But uh, um, Well, he kind of screams at that guy privately when the kind of eyes are off him, so he kind of hides that, uh, I guess, that annoyance and that hidden uh, darkness, doesn't he, until he knows no one's watching, and then he kind of gets Jenny fired yeah and then uh exactly but then jim as you were saying then then we find out that uh charlie's been stabbed and you know i have to say i i feel like i'm just wildly ignorant uh but i've I've never quite grasped what this scene really does for us because we don't we're not to believe that dalton somehow stabbed him on purpose well i don't know if i don't know if we're not supposed to believe that he seems to have a dark edge to them and he's vengeful and vicious and i think this kind of gives us a gives us a discordant note early on with our relationship with him we've already we've already seen him hold a uh a sword to the you know a point of a sword to the to the base of uh uh, paul servino's chin so he does seem to have a uh a bloodthirsty side and maybe this may be an additional uh, he he always gets payback maybe there was just a bit of aggression he got carried away or something but uh can i ask uh oh sorry go, no, sorry go hal i was gonna say can i ask uh is this kind of at all based in any kind of rumor or fact that certain hollywood stars in the th- i know the 50s had its kind of mccarthyist era but uh were any kind of like stars or Errol Flynn at the time or any any of his ilk connected to this kind of because this is it's it's a great idea that you've got like a a double agent working in like the high society and I guess the entertainment business who's very influential and wealthy is that based on any kind of rumor that the writers kind of plucked from to add to this character we've we've had in the past we've discussed uh, Errol Flynn uh, one of his uh, more fabulous biographers uh, had uh, whose name escapes me at the moment but in the eighties. Uh, this fellow wrote a uh, a story about uh, how Errol Flynn was a, a fifth columnist and was actually promoting Nazi uh, sentiments in uh, immediately pre-war Hollywood, and that he was mm. he was actually working for the Nazis. Uh, there has never been any kind of a basis for that other than this guy's book, and he also had rather um, elongated stories about other celebrities. So the tendency to doubt the biographers, but that that was always been the uh, the subtext with Errol Flynn that. Because uh, I guess Flynn has all those kind of things. Like, there's a lot of kind of rumor and darkness attached to Earl Flynn. He's a bit of a, a, well, I suppose a car crash type person. Yeah. You know, he was connected to kind of like picking up underage girls, apparently with David Niven from the local schools in LA and kind of heavy drinking and drug use and, you know, endless partying and stuff. So, uh, yeah, it's hard to know what, what was the real him and what wasn't because, uh, yeah, there's just so much kind of like. Uh, wild man antics attached to uh, errol flynn yeah which i mean would i would think would be He's like the rock star of his day almost yeah he he but the, the problem the problem with it is is trying to pin him as being a, you know this is a front for being a nazi spy i don't think i don't think the nazis would have trusted him with getting a job done <laughs> given given his background so because he was a, like a drunk and a, a lounge <laughs> lounge yeah. lizard <laughs> he uh yeah he's he just bit you know, of a predator yeah. yeah, but no Nazi. I mean, come on, we draw the line somewhere, right? <laughs> yeah, sure. We'll we'll date the sixteen-year-old girls, but yeah. Nazis. Yeah. So he's yeah he's I I would think that it's but you know overlaying it on this it matches perfectly in the Rocketeer that if you have Nazi spy rings and flying commandos, the works, this is what you need for that movie, and uh, he's he's an ideal character to uh to to bring that out. Mm. Um, I just the and the idea that like he's. 
he's shutting this guy up and showing how uh, uh, mag- uh, magnanimous he is with, uh, you mm. know, use my own car, take him to Queen of Angels and have him, you know, worked on by my best doctors. Uh, this <laughs> all sounds wonderful, <laughs> except he's the one that stabbed him in the first place. So it's like this is what he probably gets sued for if he did, didn't do that. So uh, and he's did like, they have lawyers in 1938? Uh, yeah, were they that litigious back then? Yeah, I would. Yeah, well, you could ask uh, Errol Flynn about litigious <laughs> litigious problems. Yeah, yeah I mean, true. there's there was that between that and the Coogan laws and all the other kind of stuff. There were the actors were getting sued and suing other people all the time back then. Um, mm. So we're yeah, he's. He's definitely trying to be a nice guy again. Once again, playing to the audience around him. But yeah, frankly, he's just stabbed the guy, and he kind of owes him for what he, you know, the damages he's inflicted. I mean, they're gonna obviously the the the, the show's gonna have to shut down because they're, you know, the the co-star has been stabbed. So uh, <laughs> yeah, it's. I was uh, gonna say the Hollywood system. Then Billy, uh, I think, was it last couple of episodes he was on about that. Uh, was it that hangout, that kind of cafe where young starlets and people trying to get picked oh, Schwa- up as yeah, uh, Schwabs, yeah, Schwabs, yeah. that was it. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Was it was it easy to kind of become an actress back then? I guess maybe there was less. I mean, did you start off like Jenny is here as a kind of extra, then you become a featured extra, or hopefully like a Neville Sinclair will sweep you off your feet and take you to the premiere of King Kong? Yeah, but, it, but... <laughs> look at the stems on that dame, she. <laughs> Would it have been easy back then? I don't oh, know. Wow. Who, yeah. Who's the American here? I'm, yeah, I'm rather yeah, the... lost. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, it's fair, but, but for every one of for, for every Jenny, there was a Black Dahlia. You know, you have to remember that side of it. It's like this was yeah. a, and it still is that way. People going to Hollywood going to be, you know, going to be a star, going to be going to be uh, discovered somewhere. Although Schwab's is closed, you know, there's there's a, there were a lot of promises made, and instead of going to Hollywood, they wound up in Van Nuys doing porno pictures, and that was you know yeah, that yeah, was yeah. another uh, it, it's something that isn't it, it, it it's never going to come up in a Disney movie, but there there were so many horrible ends for starlets in in this age and and still still today. I was going to say, guys, if you've not seen it, or any of the listeners, there's a 2012 documentary called I think it's Sunset Strip, and it's literally about the era of uh, kind of Sunset Strip, and then the like the the early building of Hollywood and then kind of uh, uh, was it uh, all the gangsters that came along and then like the the stars mingling with them and then the Rat Pack era and stuff and the Chateau Marmont Hotel it actually mentions it does quite a long uh, piece on Schwab's interesting uh, about kind of the scene there I'll have, have to have to check that out but yeah it's it's I mean there's so much the the Hollywood Babylon idea really was that way there were you know, there there was a fresh murder. meat for the grinder, as it were. Exactly, yeah. So, uh, you know, just go just go down to the uh, Greyhound bus depot and watch the new starlets coming in. Um, it's not unlike uh, I think if you've ever seen the Steve Martin movie Bowfinger, uh, yeah. That there, you know, there are people showing up and and hoping that they can find out who's the next person in charge of doing casting. Yeah, so, yeah, yeah. Um, but this uh, the Rocketeer, it's you know being being more of a fun romp. They don't kind of focus on that, and we see, you know, instead we're watching uh, Jenny and Irma trying to figure out how to, how they're going to be, uh, how they can get in front of uh, Myrna Loy and not have to hold that bowl of grapes anymore. Exactly, <laughs> uh, it's about career frustration, not about sort of ending up murdered or you know other horrible things. Yeah. So. Yeah. But we, we uh, go, the, I was going to say, connect the King of the Rocket Men series, which would have been happening when the Rocketeer, if it was a real thing in the 1930s and 40s, the King of the Rocket Men, and uh, I think, I think it's, it's sequel, of course, course. was it uh, Commando Cody? Yeah, that, that was right. a, li- then, a little uh, bit a little bit later, though. I think that's post-war. I think it was like 49 through in the early 50s. If I remember. And then uh, Zombies the of the comic? Stratosphere was in there as well. Yeah, that's it. I think there's a third series, isn't there? In this, yeah. Is yeah. That, was that inspired? Did that inspire the Rocketeer comic? 
Oh, uh, absolutely. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, yeah. Commander okay. Cody and all that. The uh, I mean, if you if you look, all you have to do is look at the helmet. I think they made it different enough that they wouldn't get sued by whoever owns the intellectual property of Republic Pictures. But it's it's pretty darn close. Was gonna, well, Tristan Coffin, who played, I guess, the first Rocket Man, and then uh, George Wallace, who played Commander Cody. Uh, Wallace, I think, died on my note. Yeah, notes. Uh, he died in 1990. Would he have kind of been involved or connected in any way to production? Or George Wallace, who died in 2005, were they cameos or at all? Because I know, uh, I think the original Jimmy Olsen and the Lois Lane in Superman 1978. Uh, yeah, and Kirk Allen. Kirk, kind of... Kirk Allen, the original Superman, plays uh, Lois Lane's dad. Uh, okay. from, from the 1940s series, but I I don't I haven't heard of anybody from the you know any of those Republic serials. I don't think anybody's in this particular movie. Mm. Um, although if there is, I'd be very interested in finding out about that. Yeah, that's a good um, one to dig into. Yeah, I just think it's terribly sad that this has been kind of overlooked. And as you said in previous episodes, that Disney has kind of not given it the royal treatment uh, on home video. Many of the other kind of action adventure films have been given like double disc blu-rays with these feature length documentaries and i i think i mean i said this before we uh, went on air hal that i billy's involved you can hear the enthusiasm and this kind of like want to kind of like uh, i guess tell uh, his side of the rocketeer stories it's obviously one of the highlights uh, of his career and i think it's been good that he's come on because i guess it's you're jogging each other's memories both you the host and him of all these little anecdotes that happened on the set and it's just a shame that uh, this can't be made in from a, like a ground-up uh, feature-length documentary with Joe Johnson or the kind of the star players, as we've seen with like the Alien films or Indiana Jones. I get the feeling, and I'm not, I'm not, I am not basing this on anybody's direct, you know, comments or anything like that, but just the general mood that I get from talking with people who have worked on this series. And, and Billy mm. hasn't said anything like this, but I get the feeling that Joe Johnson and Walt Disney's Walt Disney Pictures did not get get along together at all this was back uh you know this is this is that that era of uh of waking sleeping beauty they were going they, they had just finished uh little mermaid was out um beauty and the beast was coming up in aladdin so well they weren't the disney they are today i mean you've said that in previous episodes i think if the rocketeer came out now they'd have the like the the branding and the success of all the things they've made so far like the marvel films and the kind of star wars films now i think the rocketeer will be a slam dunk people will go and see it purely because Obviously oh yeah, it was Disney. Yeah, yeah. I think it, Beauty it, and the Beast has just passed 500 million. Uh, the kind of the live action uh, remake. Yeah, for, it's just it's very sad, I think. And also, I think the studio executives of then that wouldn't have got on allegedly with Joe Johnson will all have kind of perhaps moved on to other studios and or retired. The kids that grew up with this are now working at that studio. So I think it's uh, it's right to be brought back in a sense. Not not the remake, I mean, but like uh, some a, a retrospective, if you will. And yeah, I, this I would love to see more. Th- and I'm sure there must be something in their archives. Disney, if, if nothing, is a museum of everything that they've ever done. So somewhere in some file cabinet somewhere, they must have lots of, you know, the production artwork, the uh, the the. the the dailies, the, uh, the screen tests, all that kind of stuff. And right. yeah. even if they can't get, I, I don't know how Joe Johnson feels. I wish we could have him on, but it, it, maybe before the end of this this series. Joe, well, it's not over guys. yet, Jim. Yeah, Joe will be <laughs> kind enough to come out and, and talk with us about these things. But it, it, being able to uh, to chat with him about how how things were, uh, you know, obviously the, the mm. tension was there. They were getting, I think they were getting story notes every day about maybe you know change this, change that, and and not be the rocketeer that, that this thing became. Because um, technically, his work for Disney by doing Captain America, which I guess Disney owned Marvel. Yeah. Right. Yeah. But uh, I th- and I th- that was very successful and spawned two sequels. So they kind of have him to thank for kind of... And they also, I guess, got him back for that kind of aesthetic because of the rocketeer. 
it has to be the reason he kind of got uh, the Captain America job because of this film. They wanted that kind of Indiana Jones feel, and I think that's what this film was meant to do, fill in that gap when the Indiana Jones series had finished. This, uh, I think, even more than the Mummy and the kind of things that have tried to get that feeling. This is the closest thing they got, even now. I think to that kind of uh, swashbuckling. Uh, daring do that uh, the Indiana Jones series had. It's just a shame it didn't get uh, a trilogy. It's tragic, yeah. really. I, I mean, I, I think would... the black hole seems to get more shimmy shine than the Rocketeer. Yeah, you get you get a you get a black hole and you'll get like three discs inside their inside yeah. their equipment and and a whole uh, whole making of Vincent or something. So yeah. <laughs> that, that little vacuum cleaner thing. Which was. they are remaking, I understand. Yeah, I'd... with the uh, Tron Legacy director. Ah, oh, interesting. <laughs> well, well, we'll see how that turns out. Oh. Well, and, I mean. And if, course at this point we don't really know anything about uh this uh, alleged sort of sequel slash reboot the rocketeers other than we've heard six years in the future and a young female lead yeah i've just read a, a young black female lead but that sounds exactly like what they've done with the uh, iron man like this new run of iron man comics they've got rid of tony stark and it's like a young teen black girl playing it but that just sounds like the i think a report has probably overzealously added that to this rocketeer story on that i'm reading on the hollywood reporter i don't know you know that's a good point that that could only have or that may only have come from one source and it's just been circulated enough we yeah. you know we, we think it might be valid i mean we'll know we'll know when we know yeah. uh we'll know when uh when we're invited as special guests to the premiere right jim <laughs> yes um, we'll be, obviously we'll be working we'll get you in there yeah he'll get, <laughs> us on, get us on the red carpet we can we can chat with him and he'll say not now boys i'm famous so. yes, yes. <laughs> Damn it, Billy! We knew you when. Ah, <laughs> uh, but uh, yeah, no, it's it, it, we can we can look forward to it. It can't if they could get Joe Johnson back. Who I don't I don't know if he'd ever want to touch another one of these things. But uh, I would love to see a, a Joe Johnson re- renovation of the Rocketeer franchise and, and turn it into an actual franchise. That would be just yeah. a nice thing. Absolutely. And also, I think set in the thirties, because I'm reading it on this same article that they want to do it kind of a modern day twist. But I think. Uh, I don't know. There's a lot to be mined out of this here. It's quite magical that kind of uh, that, that golden era of Hollywood and the Nazis and stuff. It's kind of it's got. Uh, well, I mean, as we saw in uh, Captain America, they, they didn't call the Nazis Nazis. They used Hydra, but uh, it's such kind of an evocative and uh, mythical, uh, I guess, time of uh, world uh, lore and culture, especially with these like action adventure type uh, films as a backdrop. I, I've one of the things I've, I've always wondered out mm. about is. Why not a Rocketeer animated series? And I could see a Rocketeer series oh, yeah. easily generated from this, and they could, you know, it doesn't cost any more to draw build interest that yeah. way. Yeah, I, I don't know. Anyway, it's a, it's all a mystery. <laughs> it's again, yes, it it's, it's it's like this very minute. It's just a lot of Hollywood, and you never know what what's what's going on behind the scenes. I was going to say one thing I love about this scene is when uh, we actually just missed it from the last minute when that kind of partition falls down. <laughs> Billy Campbell just staring at there, staring agog, and then he kind of in this scene kind of embarrassedly, kind of sleepishly, sleepishly. I'm turning to Sean Connery back on Bond. Uh, sheepishly slinks away. <laughs> yeah. oh, sheepish slinking, sleep. I guess that works. <laughs> That's excellent. And you know, speaking of scenes, I I don't know what it is about it, but I absolutely love uh, you know Charlie's lie when he's you know he's laying on the ground and that whole. Did you think I was stealing the scene? You know, he's just he's just chewing on every word of it. Uh, and he may not have been stealing that scene, but he's you know he's stealing this one. But yeah. Well, my my favorite my my favorite bit in this entire thing is the uh, third or fourth second where um, Jenny Connolly does as Jenny. Blake, she she does all of her acting with her eyeballs, and she is just burning 
holes in Clifford. <laughs> it's like, why don't we go over this one? But it's just that that hole in in one second. It's just she's looking through him and then out into Nevada from where. <laughs> just, uh, Straight through his skull. Just the a, laser beams. A great, yeah, a, just a, a great facial expression that uh, I I hope they didn't have to do too many takes because he he really would have been burned to the ground by that. <laughs> But yeah, all in all, a, a wonderful, a wonderful scene. I just, uh, I. What do you think about this coming kind of? Because uh, I, I, I don't know. They, they're kind of trying to recreate the Universal, this kind of like new monsters universe, starting again with the Mummy with Tom Cruise, which looks very kind of strange tone this summer. I don't. I, I to me, it's, I, I don't know why that gets kind of like rebooted over and over again. And again, to come back to the Rocketeer, why this can't have a, a kind of a, another shot, as it were. My well, my then, major guess on it would be. I'm, I'm sorry. Let me let me let me let you go. How go ahead? No, go. Oh, oh okay. I was just you first. After okay, you, okay. indubitably. Okay, go, my, Jim. Go. Thank you. My <laughs> my belief on this thing is that Universal Studios owns those properties, and I think it's the same produ- production people that are interested in finding out where can, where can we mine things. And uh, they, they you know they look oh we own the Mummy, we own Frankenstein, we own Dracula. Let's go redo that. They don't have to pay anybody new. If they mm. look at the Rocketeer, they've got the estate of Dave Stevens. They've got uh, is it Dark Horse comic. I can't remember who has who has this comic series, but they have to pay the comic think, book company. Yeah, so IDW has been I, yeah, publishing sure. stuff lately. Yeah, but so, uh, but yeah, hard to say who owns the the comic likeness. Because Joe Johnson, strangely, as a link, did the Wolfman in 2010, which I think was uh, really good considering yeah. uh, what it was. And I think the Universal monsters are these kind of like tragic characters of these one-off things, almost Shakespearean, if you will. Right. And to kind of have them all working together in these planned sequels as kind of a, a team-up X-Men type thing, it just doesn't seem to work. Yeah, sort but, of the and, Legion of Doom, I guess. Yeah. And, yeah. And, and and Bram Bram Stoker and Mary Shelley don't have lawyers. That's the you know that's. <laughs> That's where it boils well, yeah, down. It's doing. public, public, uh, was yeah. it public uh, domain stuff. Yeah. Public domain. Yeah, because I think the same. Oh, sorry, Al. Oh, oh, I was just going to say. For me, there'll never be a, a scarier Universal monster than the original creature from the Black Lagoon, which I think Guillermo del Toro is trying to make. Yeah, and it's you know it's 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 sort of half interesting to me, but you know we we had sort of the whole Mummy reboot, which wasn't necessarily part of this Universal monsters thing. We had the, whole, the Brendan Fraser films and and all of that. And now, as Jim said, we're rebooting something just because we can, because they, they own the property. But uh, I remember I saw an original uh, Creature from the Black Lagoon uh, costume and mask, and even just on, in the display case, it still just scared me to death. And, of course, that's just because I saw it as a kid and everything else. But I, what, what do they really need to do? You know, why, not, uh, why not make something new that people will be talking about forever uh, except for the rocketeer we, we need more of that yeah ethan did, did you see the did you see the rocketeer when it first came out i didn't and i'm not sure why it passed me by because i saw everything kind of i mean this is kind of as i started going to the movies on my own really and uh, this would have been really in my wheelhouse i saw the trailers i'm just not sure why i didn't see it. i actually saw it many many years later i think in the early 2000s it was like oh my god how did i miss this this is like the closest thing we've got to Indiana Jones, and the effects for the most part still hold up. The story's great. The the score, I think, is you couldn't have asked for anything better. It elevates the film to an even higher level. It's one of James Horner's like best scores as well. Sure. Yeah. I don't well, know. I really well, don't. You I mean, you're waiting two weeks for well, you know, your your lifelong. Uh, <laughs> I'm part of the problem. I'm one of the reasons it didn't do as well. Yeah, you were out <laughs> out there watching the Terminator, and that that kind of changed your whole. I life I didn't go instead. out to vote. Yeah. <laughs> 
but uh, yeah, I mean, uh, I mean, that, fortunately, on on your side, you've you've done. You're one of the few people I've known who have completed a series, at least so far, of doing all the Terminator movies. And I'm a completer psychopath, though. If any, yeah, don't do that. Because I was going, do Airport 77, Jim. That's the one I really like. <laughs> well, we'll get to that one. We're, we're getting there. We're there. Before, before then, I close the lid. 79, the Concord. Yeah. I, I think Terminator 2 kind of crushed everything that year, though, didn't it? That was the other thing. I think uh, Schwarzenegger was at the pinnacle of his career. Yeah. But, uh, Cameron had cut, was kind of becoming this kind of behemoth director after The Abyss had failed. I don't know how he got the money to kind of do this which i think was the most expensive film at the time it's 105 million i think for the budget for terminator 2 yeah or yeah, something cr- and yeah and it just literally crushed everything i think the teaser trailer that famous uh, trailer where they kind of arnie gets the skeleton goes into the flesh regeneration machine and it presses it together and arnie comes out and it says i'll be back that actually cost more than the first uh, terminator film wow uh, completely <laughs> so yeah I, I think that was the summer of uh terminator but how far apart were these in release two, uh two weeks after the rocketeer came out the terminator terminator 2 came out and two and the week Ooh. before robin hood prince of thieves came out and then the week after terminator was uh city slickers so you know those were three that was another giant film as well wasn't yeah, it? yeah yeah and just yeah. you know th- these guys were just steamrollered there was no and the marketing the i think what really killed the rocketeer was the marketing there you look at the you look at the poster and there's this art deco rocketeer guy who you know it doesn't appeal to anybody it's abstract yeah it, it's very you don't know what the movie's about it, it's still very much a teaser the it, you know it, it says walt disney pictures in large letters they figure oh it's going to be like iron iron giant or something it's probably animated mm. and there was no audience for it there was no you know you, you didn't have it wasn't targeted at anybody that would be interested in this movie unless you had read you know that that small fraction of the population that had read the graphic novel Hmm. Um, yeah, it, I mean, it, it, they basically John Cartered the whole thing. Uh, um, Such a shame. Well, I don't know. A, I think that's a, a bad comparison because John Carp, uh, John Carpenter, sorry, John Carter was marketed up the wazoo, and that still didn't do very well. But it, I don't know. Sometimes it, some things just don't pan out. But uh, yeah, I, I mean, seeing the Rocketeer later, I just couldn't believe it. Everyone I know that's seen it, or I've shown it to, has gone, "Oh my God, this is fantastic." Yeah. So I mean, yeah. the proof is in the pudding. I just, it's, uh, it was just awful bad luck that this uh, happened because this would have been. I still think the new Indiana Jones. They could make this again now and set it in the 30s. You know, it, Indiana Jones is a property of Lucasfilms, and the Rocketeer, the, the original movie, and probably most of the the rights to it is still a property of Walt Disney. So why not have a Rocketeer Indiana Jones team up? I mean, would it really? There you would, go. Would it really be that bad? I would. I after after Crystal Skull, I wouldn't want them to tarnish the poor Rocketeer. <laughs> well, there is. <laughs> and condemn it to another thirty years before a remake because uh, everyone hated it. You know, I can't. Uh, I can't recall. Bring up the name of the artist right now. I can. I can find it and and we can share a link or something. But uh, at uh, the Chicago Comic Con last year, I picked up this wonderful thing. It was this beautifully done, uh, you know, late '30s style movie poster big widescreen thing with uh, sort of these multiple heroes fighting it out, fighting the bad guys and everything. And it was Indiana Jones, uh, the Rocketeer, and Captain America. Wow. Uh, and, of course, it's obviously just this fanciful what-if thing. But it, I, you know, I just look at this piece and say, I will go and see that movie every day of my life. Mm. And so... Maybe they could add him to the Marvel Universe. What's that? Yeah. I was, you're right, Hal. I, I mean, that sounds like a great idea. Why not kind of uh, seed the Rocketeer into the Marvel uni- Universe and get him in the back door that way, kind of, as it uh, were? 
It depends uh, on how IDW would feel about it. But yeah, that's, uh, I mean, the other part of it, I, I remember seeing somebody had done a poster, and I don't know where it is. It was The Rocketeer, Indiana Jones, The Phantom, and The Shadow. That sounds like the League of Extraordinary Gentlemen. Yeah, you know, just about, right. yeah, Lamont Cranston and, and, uh, and Clifford. I, I can see that easily. I, I can yeah. see that too. So that's like, that's a shared universe that could actually work versus the Universal Monsters thing. This, you know. Yeah, but you know, we we just have to quietly recast Howard Hughes as Howard Stark. Wow. <laughs> exactly is all we really have to do. <laughs> well, I, I I feel like we've really accomplished something here, yeah. gentlemen. <laughs> okay, yeah. I have one more question for you, Hal, before we sign off. Actually, oh god, I keep cutting you off. Uh, you're a pilot as well, right? I am indeed. Have you? Because I'm a UFO nut. Have you ever seen anything strange in the sky? Because I posted on the Bulldog Cafe uh, Rocketeer Minute uh, fans uh, that it's come to light that Kurt Russell was the only civilian pilot to actually call in the uh, the Phoenix Lights. I think in 2009. You know, I just saw that post. That was absolutely fascinating to me. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I will go on record as saying that I dearly wish that I had because I am absolutely fascinated by the topic. I. Um, a couple of careers ago, I was in, in law enforcement for a while, but aviation's been a thing my entire life, and I think there's something, there's some combination of I love a good mystery, and I'm fascinated by anything, uh, anything and everything that flies. And, you know, while I've, while I've never spotted anything that I couldn't sort of figure out and explain, um, the, the stories to me are fascinating. Now, when you, when you have a convention, a convention and suddenly everybody's wearing, you know, foil hats and painting their faces <laughs> green and saying that I'm a regular visitor from Reticulon Zeta or something like that, you start to lose me. Yeah. But, uh, but when you, you know, when you show me the Phoenix lights, even though I, I, I feel fairly strongly that, uh, that, that I think we know that those are flares, but even, uh, but whatever, anytime a story like that comes up, uh, that looks intriguing to me. I'm, I am all over it. Well, I think because it's that area, if it is actually something, it's most likely, which I think 99% of things that are seen are usually these special projects out of Wright Patterson Air Force Base or kind of right. yes, or, 51 or Area 51 and all that. Yeah. Area 51 that they, they, you know, only in our sort of at least adult lifetimes have they actually acknowledged really exists. So. But I think the technology the public has access to is a bit like that. Because I asked uh, Jim before we started the show, I also posted a video of this kind of like hoverboard disc that someone was flying and asked if it was real, and apparently it is. Yeah, yeah, the, uh, like the flyboard sort of thing. Yeah, it's very exciting stuff. Yeah, it absolutely is. <laughs> and you said there was a Rocketeer or Rocket Pack being made, Jim, is that correct? Yes, that, that, that's a real that, life one. That is correct. We're going to be having someone on who, uh, or we may have already had them on. I can't remember now. It's... <laughs> yes. We, we time travel on this show a lot, and uh, actually we're going <laughs> to. So be we, ha- we do have uh, we we've invented time machines. We are so. we are going to be talking more about it in uh, two weeks. Two weeks we're going to have some someone ah, on who has uh, developed a real well the, the equivalent of a rocketeer pack. But I don't wanna, I don't want to give too much away here. But yes, we will we'll be talking a lot about that, and it is a real thing. I mean, people, you know, uh, <laughs> if flying commandos the works is is pretty much that. It's it's an amazing. I mean, we've gone far be, beyond uh, Thunderball. Uh, right. Know, yeah. pe- people if you can afford to buy one, listeners, in five years' time, don't wait for the fifth generation. Yeah. <laughs> Remember how like buggy the iPhone one was. You don't want to be two hundred feet in the air when that thing goes out from under you. Yes, having having it burst into flames or things is not a not a good idea. You know, you don't want to wind up like poor old Neville. Oh, well, that's giving away a little bit too much for this. Yeah, this a little spoiler alert. 
Ah. But I love the kind of sound consumer advice that uh, that comes up on yeah. this show. <laughs> when you're when you're jetpack shopping, you know, don't go out and buy the first one you see. Yeah. Wait a little bit. Wait for the technology to mature. Don't get the Walmart version. No, no, no. And, get, and don't go with point zero. Let them do a couple of builds yes. after the new version exactly. comes out. Exactly. So right. Let a couple of updates. Exactly. <laughs> but a a great minute, definitely a great minute here, and a great way to end our week. Ethan, thank you so much for being on on the show. It's always a it's thank always you a for having me having, on. You add it. No, really. A, I'm, I'm apologies for talking over both of you sometimes the, the delay slightly i think i apologize it, it's okay you're on the other side of the planet from us at the moment so it's uh it, it, we're just being you know it, it, this is all the function of being part of the future we're, we're here and you're the co-host billy campbell love your work sir keep coming on this show the episodes are great we love you wow well, we may we may even we may have you on during during a billy billy sode i think we're gonna no, oh we should, my we god never, yeah. so well then we have to combine ethan's theme with billy's theme and i boy that's yeah. gonna get complicated we'll have to get ethan a theme that's the <laughs> <laughs> well step one uh, yeah yeah but that's, uh that's... but please please do is there a central location for for the world of ethan is there is there a place we can send people for their you know the, the walmart uh, there's uh ethan mckinley.com there's ethan mckinley uk on twitter uh you can find my podcast questionable emc if you type that in to youtube you can find me uh berating and tearing apart movies and uh interviewing various people i'm kind of doing this like mishmash now of uh movie breakdowns and then uh interviewing uh various people from the industry kelly lebrock i'm uh, trying to get on we're just having trouble because she lives in the midwest i think and doesn't have a decent enough internet connection and wants ah. to do it over the phone but uh, oh, really it's trying to explain to her assistant what a podcast is <laughs> oh, and uh that if we send her a, like a zencaster type link it will work and she'll be fine oh, so we're in, we're in negotiations as we speak to speak wow. to the woman in red who was she married to? Was she married to Steven Seagal at one point? Steven Seagal, yeah. Best. That's uh, what I want to hard, talk to her about, really, because I know she's uh, she was having this Paul No Punches biography coming out a couple of years ago. Wow. And it never happened. And I I know I just want to talk about that book and get the uh, dish the dirt on uh, old Steven Seagal, <laughs> for, for starters. <laughs> I well, cannot but, wait for that episode. Ethan, every every <laughs> one of your ventures is is so exciting. I, I I will definitely be tuning in. But please, yes, go go check out Ethan's many many works. Man, I don't know when he sleeps. Oh, and yet. I have one more thing to add, listeners. I've, I do know a, a podcast called Was It Worth It. I'm sorry, I just forgot that. I've only just started, but I uh, I know a friend who's not seen any big genre films or franchise pictures, and he's 30 years old. So I make him watch a film like Alien. And then we discuss it for a half an hour, and we find out if it was actually worth it with a modern perspective looking back on an old movie. So, uh, yeah, we Very see true. if uh, these films still hold up. So right. uh, that's and my I'll put a link to that under the show. You're simultaneously molding and shaping his opinions about about entire franchises, which is excellent. <laughs> so uh, very very exciting times ahead. So uh, everybody, you, you, there's no reason to have this weekend. We will not be producing anything this weekend. So please go check out all of Ethan's stuff. You can binge to your heart's content for the next 48 hours. Please do. <laughs> uh, but please join us back here Monday. Of course, we've got our own social media out there that you can touch upon. We've got Twitter, uh, Rocketeer Minute. We've got Facebook, uh, facebook.com slash Rocketeer. You can also join us at the big site, RocketeerMinute.com. Lots of cool swag, previous episodes, future episodes maybe, and a bunch of different articles and pictures that you may have not seen anywhere else. So check us out, RocketeerMinute.com. We will join you back here Monday and find out what a closed set means, as the director tells us. So uh, be back here uh, Monday for the Rocketeer Minute. So until next time, over and out. Bye. Thanks, guys.
get it, kid. 